Today is February 24th, 2019. Welcome to Native Calgarian. Native Calgarian is being recorded on the lands of the Blackfoot Confederacy. The Blackfoot south of the imposed U.S.-Canadian border are the Blackfeet. North of the border, the Siksika, Kanai, and Bagani of the Confederacy. These lands are now on Treaty 7, signed in 1877, with signatories that include the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Stony Nakoda, which are now the Wesley, Chiniki, and Bearspaw Nations, and the Sutina Nation. I acknowledge all First Nation, Métis, Inuit status and non-status across Turtle Island as Chase Takom Aki, or Red Thunder Woman. My spirit name is was given to me in ceremony, and my humblest apologies to the Blackfoot elders and language keepers as I try to learn proper Blackfoot pronunciation on your lands. I honor the Blackfoot as uh, as a visitor here. My name's Michelle Robinson. I was born in Calgary as Michelle Elliott, a very English name, which has afforded me privilege in an English colonial world. My mother is Northern Slavey Dene, or Satu Dene, but my Indian Act imposed status card by the Canadian government says Yellow Knives Dene. My father is so Canadian that I am the daughter of the Mayflower and a daughter of the American Revolution while having an Indian Act imposed status card. I acknowledge my Dene lineage and that I was born in Calgary, but my family is not part of the Treaty 7 signatories. My Dene lineage roots me in the land of the Hare people, also called the Great Bear Lakes people in Treaty 11. I'm a native to Turtle Island and my nation is, my Dene nation is a visitor to this area called Clinchotine Indahe, meaning Many Horse Town, named after the Calgary Stampede. Land acknowledgements are critical to creating a safer space for Indigenous, as well as honoring the host as the, as a guest. Any mistakes or misinterpretations are on me. I encourage questions so that misunderstandings can be cleared up as soon as possible. I do not speak on behalf of all Indigenous, but I share what I know as I walk down my red road. If you're experiencing emotional distress after hearing anything we talked about today and want to talk, call the First Nation and Inuit Hope for Wellness helpline at 1-855-242-3310. It is toll-free and open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. For non-Indigenous, there are distress centers, lines in your area too. My Patreon account is Native Calgarian, where you can pledge and support. Thank you to the previous donors for already showing your support to the show. If you value listening and can afford to give, thank you. To those that cannot afford to give but listen in, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com, where you can send in your comments or questions. We are also on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. So, last episode, I talked about Jody Wilson-Rainbow, Jason Kenny, and more, so I'd love to hear what you have to say. Um, I was coming, I, I went across a few different uh, Dene references, and I came across this grade four social studies uh, curriculum teaching, and uh, I found it really funny because February is called the cold weather giving month, where this is the month where the cold moon is born. And the central Mackenzie mountain range, Denny have found that there are pockets of cold air in the deep valleys, especially during this full moon. Hunters carry extra moccasins and mittens in their packs when they go country, uh, hunting at this time of year. And I thought that was pretty fitting considering that we've been under a long cold snap. And uh, yeah, I don't have much, um, you know, patience for folks who are complaining about it because, uh, you know, climate change, it's a thing. And uh, on top of that, not just did we have do we have climate change, but we ha actually climate change has changed our winter so much. We haven't really had 
like the two good week cold spell like this forever. Actually, I think the uh, radio was saying something like 22 years or something like that. It hasn't, we haven't had a cold snap like this. So, you know, I just, I just cannot complain about it because once upon a time that used to be so normal. And because it's not anymore, we have like pine beetles and all sorts of problems because of it. So we're, we're just at the end of February heading into uh, March and March apparently is the Eagle moon. The full moon in this month is when the Eagles return. And the word for Eagle is the uh, Tokucho or Nodi. So I got to work on my Satu Dene, obviously, but I found it really great. So grade four social studies, who are the Dene? That's where I found that from. It's also the end of Black History Month. So I hope you've enjoyed some of the links that I've shared over the month on my Facebook page. Uh, my recent one was 100 Black, Lesbian, Bisexual, Queer, and Transgender Women That You Should Know. And some of the feedback I got already was this was a great link on my Twitter. So that made me happy. And I hope that uh, even for me, I, I learned so many things from Black History Month and I'm really grateful for uh, all the teachings because I know a lot of the Black and Indigenous history is actually tied up together. And uh, for example, the slavery in Canada and how many people are unaware of Black and Indigenous slavery in Canada, but like the, you know, nice whitewash stuff about, uh, you know, saving some Black slaves from the U.S. because that sounds um, victorious, but the historic part of us doing it for how long, you know, that seems to get missed. So, Anyway, moving on, um, today Walking With Our Sisters Calgary had a, a quick meeting to talk about the vamps. So for those who are unaware, Walking With Our Sisters is a, is a ceremony and a bundle that happened all across Canada. And uh, there were host cities that held the, the bundle. And the bundle was filled with uh, the top of moccasins are called vamps. And those vamps traveled from one area to another, always under ceremony, always with uh, elders of the area, um, you know, pipes, whatever that looks like for each area. And uh, we here in Calgary were lucky to host. There was um, a wonderful committee that did a ton of the work for two years. And I came, came in at the very end be- and I told them as such because I knew I was campaigning to run for Ward 10 at the time. So I came in towards the end and, um, to try to remind everybody about two-spirit issues as we went along because it was incredibly important to me that we honor two-spirit. And um, we we ha- hosted it here for, um, you know, our time, and then it moved on. Then this was done at a national level. Christy Belcourt had a dream, actually, and that dream manifested itself into this bundle. And she got uh, Maria Campbell and other local elders to uh, start and finish it. So anyway, we were talking about um, um, a trip in August to Batoche because all of the people all across Canada are invited to come and, um, you know, finish up the bundle. So the bundle itself is uh, we are we, Christy Belcourt mainly, uh, returned the vamps to those who had asked for it, but there will always be some left over. And um, there's going to be a ceremony to determine what's going to happen to those vamps and how to, um, what to do with the bundle. So it could be burnt, it could be buried, it could go into the water. Um, it could be transferred, I don't know. But what what I do know 
is that there's a lot of grief and a lot of hurt that was attached to that because each one of those vamps rep represented an indigenous woman that was lost or murdered um, for their families. And, you know, it was a teaching tool for Canadians to learn about the gravity of missing and murdered indigenous women here in Canada. So that was a conversation that we had and uh, we have some local elders that we want to get there. Um, you know, if we can pay for their gas money or uh, pay for their food, lodging, whatever that looks like. So we were talking about doing some fundraising. And so if you might want to look, I'll, I'll do a body bottle drive for everybody here in Calgary and, uh, you know, return those bottles and get that money for uh, elders, committee members. And um, I know one of our committee members is way out in Mohawk territory now and like to bring her to Batoche. So hopefully we'll be able to do that. And if like, I hope that there's money, but if, if there was any money left over, I know we would give it to, if not Awuton, you know, the women river protectors of Batoche, uh, whatever that looks like. Another thing that's happened locally is uh, the missing and murdered indigenous women, girls and two spirit inquiry is starting to do the commemoration uh, portion of, of the inquiry. So those conversations are, are starting, but you know, I'm not going to lie. It's really hard to be talking about um, that when we, we haven't had any justice come from the inquiry at all. Um, and speaking of which, uh, Trishina Simon's trial is happening here in Calgary and uh, you know, she was brutally murdered and we did a vigil and a, a bus came down from Moscow cheese and um I got to go to the gala awards or uh, I guess the inspire awards. And I saw at the gala, one of the counselors actually from her band and that's her, her auntie. And, you know, it was nice to meet her in, in person, but the irony being, of course, this was the time that I meet her was during the trial of her niece. So I was just want the family to know I'm thinking about you as, as we go through this and same with the commemoration conversations that there's so many families that have no justice uh, here in Calgary. We actually had um, Valentine's Day um, March and I, I was unable to attend because my uh, cousin actually was flying back to New, uh, Northwest Territories, thank goodness. And I have a whole bunch of cleaning up to do from that. So I, I just couldn't even go. I think it's just too, <laughs> literally too fresh at this point. Um, but the bigger picture was too that the Calgary Police Service, you know, thought they were really funny. I mean, at the municipal level, the city put out some funny little Valentines to all the surrounding cities. Like, you know, Red Deer was dear to me and uh, Edmonton, 290 kilometers away is close enough. Those types of things. Um, so the Calgary Police thought it would be funny to put out Valentine's days to all of the people they're looking for. Um, so, you know, outstanding warrants and such. And, uh, the fellow who, uh, butchered up Joey English, um, uh, got a nice little Valentine's day saying, Hey, you broke parole. We really were great if, uh, you know, you come back to us, which was really upsetting to the family. And, um, you know, I just don't think Calgarians understand the gravity of how awful it is sometimes to just exist. Even for me, I went to one of these meetings and it was literally the belly of the beast that was trying to apprehend my nieces and my nephew. And I just took everything I had just to, to get to it, let alone, you know, talk to people who I know 
don't understand the gravity of apprehending our children. You know, um, I don't know how to get this across to people that today is a continued genocide with the apprehension of our children and the um, in jailing of our women. There's just, it, it, if we were in any other country, this would be absolutely deplorable. We have um, international bodies constantly calling out Canada on these issues, and yet Canadians are so blissfully unaware. I, um, I can't, I can't be that person. So on this day in 1976, Annie Mae Anguash or Annie Mae Anguash was found. Her body was found in 1976, um, badly decomposed. Uh, by a rancher mending fences in North Dakota Badlands. And she was one of the original AIM members that mysteriously went missing. And the family, you know, really blames AIM leadership for what they did to her, her leading up to that moment. So I know a lot of people talk about freeing uh, Leonard Peltier, but I know for that family, this is something that I always think about every single time I see one of those free Leonard Peltier, you know, posters or whatever. And it just really shows the deep-rooted sexism, even within our own people, towards women and the violence that we we face. And then add that racism of Canadians, you know, sexualizing us and hating us and talking down to us and assuming that we are unworthy. You know, it's not easy being an Indigenous woman in Canada, and I know a lot of people think it, it is. I actually was at a meeting, and I had a fellow, you know, say, well, there's genocide all across, and then another fellow say, well, you know, devil's advocate, it it was good for, for Canada. Canada wouldn't exist if, we, if this wasn't going to happen, and I just can't believe how, you know, cold and cruel people can be to my face about it but then that just shows the lack of respect for indigenous women in Canada too right so um on Monday night oh anyway when I launched the last pad podcast that was when um Jody Wilson Rainbow or <laughs> Rainbow she uh she you know had stepped down and there was a lot of controversy we published the podcast and then the next morning Jerry Butts resigned. So there was a lot had happened in just the short time that my podcast had been released and uh, I didn't get anybody comment, which shocked me and surprised me because I thought more people might want to say something, but you know, it is what it is. I'll be interested to see what people's opinions are as we go. Um, because the inspire awards were here, uh, Robert Falcon Ouellette was in town and he, he messaged me. He's like, Hey, I'm in town. So I went and seen him and went for a walk down Sioux Avenue. And he was telling me right where that uh, TELUS convention center is. And before the parkade was there, he was um, a security guy actually looking after one of the original houses there. And oh, it just sounded awful. But he said that his job was to watch the structure and this, you know, wrecking ball vehicle came up and he's like what are you guys doing here and they just accidentally wrecking balled it and said oh i guess it's structurally unsound and they had the city come check it go yep it's structurally unsound and then they ripped it down so it was just so cowboyish the way it sounded like it went down it was incredible 
So I really appreciated him sharing that with me. I got to meet uh, Emily as well. And uh, yeah, I guess I was talking to Robert because I've been talking about possibly running and, you know, I said, geez, like 50% of marriages, they like fall apart. And he's like, actually, it's more like 70. So I was really sad to, uh, to be corrected on that number. <laughs> Pretty pathetic. But, you know, that's what public service is where, you know, apparently your marriages fall apart. So that was something that kind of shook me to the core. And my husband and I have been talking a lot about that since, um, how hard it is to be married. And, you know, I wouldn't, I went to David Swan's farewell and his wife was there and, you know, it was kind of mentioned again that, uh, how she's always stood by him. So Robert and I started, oh, we were continued walking and, uh, you know, went into the city hall and had a quick look around. And while we were walking out to the library, I was just going on and on about the library. So we headed up and, uh, seen the elder circle and, he got to see uh, Clarence Wolf. Like, he's the one who taught me how to say my name in Blackfoot, by the way. And anyway, we just had a really nice visit. It was a nice change. And uh, he and I talked a lot about Jody Wilson Rainbow and uh, the caucus and, and what's been happening because of that. And it's interesting hearing everybody's perspective because, like, uh, Robert Falcon Ouellette is a is a backbencher. But he was the first to say, now we don't have anyone at the table. And by that, he means anyone who has a cabinet position is, you know, the ones giving perspective. And by having Jody as one of those people at the table, that's gone now. So we also talked a little bit about Hunter, uh, Hunter Tutu up in none of it, because, um, you know, I really liked him. I spent the weekend with him in Winnipeg and him and his daughter and uh, they, we all had a wonderful weekend. And then it was that Monday was when he got kicked out of caucus and all of those things went down. So, it, you know, I kind of said to him, like, God, what about him? Like, is he ever going to be at the table? And uh, it doesn't sound like, you know, that's going to happen, which makes me super sad because I think he's a really good representative for his area. And uh, it's been interesting watching him because he hasn't been in the Liberal Party that he's been independent and been able to just, you know, be himself and honest. And um, recently, and I was just going to talk about Monday Night's Book Club. Monday Night's Book Club talked about uh, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. That was the conversation that we were having. And um, our conversation specifically was the... Um, Oh, education, or well, the languages and culture part. So, um, call to action uh, thirteen to seventeen, and it's interesting because that is the languages act that just went through uh, C ninety one. So we were having that conversation, and I was talking to Robert about Hunter, saying, you know, I was really proud of him because he he stood up and he and he said, you know, Nate to no bid from uh, from. Uh, the representative of the Inuit, actually, he he said he can't support the Languages Act. And uh, Robert, or not Robert, uh, Hunter stood up and, and said, you know, we, we're really upset about this because it, there wasn't proper Inuit representation, as Neaton Nobed said. And I was really proud of Hunter. So anyway, it was interesting having conversations with Robert about what's happening within the caucus from his perspective. And, you know, it kind of sounds like a lot of people just 
honestly, it sounds like things are so fast moving, even for the people there, that they don't know necessarily what's happening, which I found really interesting. Um, I really like Robert. I was really grateful to hang out with him, uh, you know, take him to Clarence, have that moment to chat. Uh, Stacy was there as well, Mohawk. And uh, she had a chance to chat a little bit with him. And we signed the book. And he goes, uh, am I going to see Nenshi at the City Hall? And I'm like, no, I'll probably be at the Inspire. And sure enough, he was. Him and Carolyn Bennett. So it was pretty good. The I want to say uh, thank you to Alan for the tickets so that I could go to the gala. And um, I brought uh, Métis neighbor of mine. And she, you know, she is direct descendant of the Red River folks. And, you know, even she didn't feel comfortable there. It's still that intergenerational trauma from uh, all of everything that's been taught to us here in Canada. I tell you, it's just um, hard to get over all of this trauma. I wish, I wish we could. Anyway, we're getting there. We're working on it. But I, I guess I wanted to say that because, you know, to this day, a lot of Indigenous don't even feel comfortable, even when you're supposed to be Indigenous circles, because you don't know where you fit. And that's just the legacy of Canada. So it was interesting. Anyway, I want to go back to the um, book club. So if you missed our book club, we talked about language and culture. So call to action 13 to 17, we call upon the federal government to acknowledge that Aboriginal rights include Aboriginal language rights. And that breaks down into, um, or 14 goes into, we call upon the federal government to enact the Aboriginal Languages Act that incorporates the following principles. Aboriginal language are a fundamental and valuable element of Canadian culture and society. There is an urgency to preserve them. Aboriginal language rights are reinforced by the treaties. The federal government has a responsibility to provide sufficient funds for the Aboriginal language revitalization and pre preservation. The preservation, revitalization, and strengthening of Aboriginal languages and cultures are best managed by Aboriginal people and communities. Funding for Aboriginal language incentives must, be, must reflect the diversity of Aboriginal languages. So I just want to break that down a little bit because um, a lot of people really pigeonhole us as one and we're not. We have so many different languages within the Dene culture alone. You know, um, when I say I'm Satu Dene, that's different than Sutina Dene. And uh, I just find it so insulting how many people think, oh, you know, there's going to be an act and there's going to be funding. And it, it's actually quite an enormous task to you know, implement this. And, you know, I had a look and it was basically $350 million that goes towards English and French. And we just got a small smidge of that with the Languages Act. So, and we have like, you know, over 600 nations through the Indian Act. So you can imagine how many languages that we need to put together. And we, we were talking two with $350 million and just a smidge of that for over 600 million or for over 600 nations. So anyway, according to Beyond 94, that's the CBC Indigenous website that we use kind of as a nonpartisan uh, check to basically say, you know, what do they say? 
And they were actually really agreeing a lot of this had been completed with the table or with the new bill that's coming in, the C-91. Um, will it get done in time for the actual election? That's my concern. I hope it does. Uh, 16, we call upon post-secondary institutions to create university and college degree and diploma programs in Aboriginal languages. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 15, I think I skipped that one. We call upon the federal government to appoint in consultation with Aboriginal groups an Aboriginal languages commissioner. The commissioner should help promote Aboriginal languages and report on the um, adequacy of federal funding of Aboriginal language incentives. Boy, I guess I'm available, hey? I was already uh, saying that wasn't enough. And 17, we call upon all levels of government to enable residential school survivors, uh, survivors and their families to reclaim name changes by the residential school system by waiving administrative costs for a period of five years for the name change process and for the revision of official identity documents such as birth certificates, passports, driver's license, health cards, status cards, and social insurance numbers. I don't know if, um, you know, how many people are, are utilizing that and, you know, province to province that varies so much. I just, I don't know. I'm so disillusioned when it comes to how easy these things are or how hard they are. But actually, our book club, we got into such a conversation with just 13 and 14 that the two hours went like already. So we didn't even get a chance to go on to 16 and 17. So that gives you an idea of how intense some of those conversations can get. And I really encourage people, like if you're not having these conversations locally, go find a group to have these conversations. Create your own book club. Create your own club that talks about the Truth and Reconciliation commission calls to action because if we just take a section and break them down and you know we do that once every two months like that's a lot of work and every single month that we read a book that's not the trc calls to action we look at that book and go what trc calls to action applies here so it's a lot of work and it's ongoing because every year everything changes depending on what's happening within the government so just really want to encourage that. And uh, for those who came to the book club, the library actually gave us some books. Uh, Therese Marie Mailhot's Heartberries. That's our next one. So if you've read the book and you want to send us a review or just come, you're more than welcome to. It would be wonderful. Uh, next, I want to talk about, oh, <laughs> some more local politics. Um, there's actually a movement to put fluoridation back into the water. Um, I ran into a bit of this when I when I ran. The University of Calgary was really pushing it, and I had folks come up to me and talk to me about it. And, uh, you know, there's a really great conversation on the CBC with Drew Farrell. And I really liked it because Drew kind of talked actually more about some of the issues that I think are are more critical, which is, you know, why is this happening provincially? And why does Edmonton, who has fluoridation, have the same problems we do? And why do why are there problems with tooth decay all across the province? Now, for anybody who knows anything about child health, that's a reflection of the poverty. That's a reflection of the food quality. It's a reflection of the lack of dental care. And we have a lot of dental care issues here in Alberta because we don't have standard um, 
fees and it's actually one of the most expensive places to get your teeth cleaned. And that's the bigger problem, you know, uh, fluoridation compared to the bigger issue of dental care and child's health, such a different conversation um, to have. So anyway, I'm going to be obviously monitoring that because a lot of people are, I mean, a lot of people are, are so, you know, absolutely we need fluoridation and we need to force vaccines into every single kid. And, you know, I'm talking about, you know, forced residential school survivors and the ramifications of poor government policy every single day. So, you know, I just find it interesting how people don't translate one to the other at all. They don't uh, read the TRC calls to action. They don't know the experiments on children's health that was done through the Indian residential schools. I just, you know, I don't understand how people are so dense about these matters, but here we are. So if you're incredibly passionate about absolutely having the fluoridation in or out, I highly recommend that you contact your uh, counselors and the mayor and tell them what you think. So just a couple of events I want to throw out real quick because it is Black History Month and Action Dignity is hosting a Black Intersectionality panel and that's on February 28th at 6.30 at Community Wise. Uh, March 12th at the uh, MRU at 7.30, The Gift of Our Wounds, a sick and former white supremacist find forgiveness. March 17th at 7 p.m. at Shelf Life Books, Ariel Twists with Vivek Shara, a beautiful night of poetry from Two-Spirit and Queer People of Color. Shout out to Sharon Stevens again for... Um, being one of my activist memoir uh, mentors and, you know, for your kindness and sharing and promoting us in the Best of Calgary as we were both nominated for Best Civic Activist. I wanted to address, this is going to be the name of today, tonight's podcast because it's so controversial. Um, Rachel Notley got a headdress. <laughs> she got a headdress and a name. And the name that she was given in Blackfoot translates into Braveheart Woman. And this was given at the International Peace Powwow. And uh, Jason Goodstriker was on TV, uh, CTV, actually, and was talking about it, uh, talking about his dad being the elder who did the transfer rights. And I know leading up to this um, headdress transfer, there was a lot of outrage and a lot of conversation already happening it, with it. So, um <sighs> I, I guess I'm going to start by giving out some some quotes about what happened. Um, so the Blood uh, Gunai Tribe Politics and News actually shared the CTV clip, and that's how I first seen it. And uh, this says, Jason Goodstriker is not our chief, nor is he chief of Siksika, Bagani, or chief of any Treaty 7 nations in Alberta. Journalists, get your facts straight before publishing anything about Natives. Not making an effort to do any research. Too lazy. <laughs> Boy, is that ever true. So they did. They named Jason Goodstriker as the chief. And now I happen to know him. He lives here in my uh, my ward, actually. And he, nope, he was a former counselor once upon a time. As far as I know, um, he works for energy company now, uh, doing good work. I mean, lots of us do, so it's not a slam on him. And I know a lot of people will slam him for that, but pretty sure that's public available knowledge for anybody out there. Um, so, you know, 
I don't know what to say to the media, to CTV. Well, I know I have called you out numerous times that there is a call to action on media. So number 84, we call upon the federal government to restore and increase funding to the CBC radio and to enable Canada's national public broadcaster to support reconciliation and be properly reflective of the diverse cultures, languages, and perspective of, orig- of Aboriginal people, including but not limited to increasing Aboriginal programming, including Aboriginal language speakers, increasing equitable access for Aboriginal peoples to get jobs, leadership positions and professional development opportunities within the organization, continued to provide dedicated news coverage and online public information resources on the issue of concerning of issues of concern to Aboriginal people and all Canadians, including history and legacy of Indian residential schools and the reconciliation process. Number 85, we call upon the Aboriginal People's Network as an independent nonprofit broadcaster to support reconciliation, including but not limited to continuing to provide leadership and programming and organizing uh, culture that reflects diverse cultural languages, perspectives of Indigenous people, continue to develop media initiatives that inform and educate the Canadian public and connect Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal Canadians. And 86, we call upon the Canadian journalism programs and media schools to require education for all students on the history of Aboriginal peoples, including the history and legacy of Indian residential schools, the United Nations Declaration on Rights of Indigenous Peoples, the treaties and Aboriginal rights, Indigenous law, and Aboriginal crown relations. So this is kind of important, CTV, that you actually don't know who is chief. And it's kind of important that, you know, you frame it in a way that elders are given the respect that they're supposed to. But whatever, I don't know if anybody's really paying attention to that, but it's kind of important. Anyway, uh, Blood and Kanai uh, Tribe Politics and News went on to say that even our brothers and sisters, natives from all over Canada, are pissed off at this being allowed, and it's a bad idea to be taking our culture, headdresses, and giving of an Indian name to honor politicians who don't deserve it. That's pretty loaded. So there's lots to talk about in that. Um, You know, I was actually taught very differently there. That, uh, first of all, that when an elder starts the, you know, headdress transfer rights, that's that. Um, Actually, as my daughter said, the spirits say so. The spirits tell us. And if the elders have already started the headdress doesn't really matter. We need to respect that elder and we need to respect the, the headdress uh, being transferred, like it or not. And um, I was actually taught all of this because prior to Justin Trudeau getting one through the Sutina Nation, I was really on board with being upset with Stephen Harper having a headdress, like really upset about it because his awful policies literally led to I don't know more. And so if I went off about that, the first people to come after me were actually my hosts, and that's the Blackfoot people. So I actually learned a lot from the Blackfoot people to kind of shut my mouth about that, more so because it's a partisan issue as well. Um, with me, it was a partisan issue at the time, and, and headdresses aren't about partisan politics. Um, 
how it was described to me is that it's a gift. Um, ultimately, colonial politics, there's no colonial party that will ever represent Indigenous people. I've said this a million times. I will say it until I die. And it doesn't matter the party. Um, ultimately, Canada is a construct forced upon these lands. The reason why I acknowledge Blackfoot territory is that Canada, Calgary, Alberta, right now, this is on Blackfoot territory. This is Mokinstis. This is their what they called this area. My people call it Klinchotine Indahe, but the Blackfoot call this Mokinstis. So anyway, I guess what I'm just trying to say is that it doesn't, it doesn't matter. The Blackfoot elders decided that this is what's going to happen, and we have to respect that, and we have to listen. Whether it's Stephen Harper, whether it's Rachel Notley, or, well, they, the Blackfoot have not been a part of the headdress ceremony that happened with um, with Justin Trudeau. Justin Trudeau's um, headdress came from the Sutina people, actually. So the Dene, my cousins. And uh, anyway, so when I when I seen all of this, you know, I I knew I learned from what happened with Stephen Harper to not put it down. And in fact, um, how Eagle Tail taught me with um, Justin's is that when people make fun of it, it's actually a poor reflection upon them. So, and for those who do not know, uh, uh, Nenshi, Nahid Nenshi's name was gifted to him after the flood and they called him one who moves camp, which I think is really fitting. So I, I posted, you know, congratulations, brave heart woman. And that's what Rachel Notley was named. Um, I pray for you, the one who moves camp and the one who keeps trying, which is what the Sutina named Justin Trudeau to make good decisions. And when I say they named him, it's not really that. Our elders speak to the spirits and the spirits tell us what their names will be. So that's why names can even change. So today, Rachel Notley's name might be Braveheart Woman, but in 10 years from now, 20 years from now, it might change depending on, on what she's doing in her life. Um, and that's the same for all indigenous people. Our Indian names can change. Uh, my name was gifted in ceremony and I'm Red Thunder Woman. So um, anyway, I just, I always pray for them because I want them to honor the Truth and Reconciliation Commission call 57, which is anti-racism and indigenous training within all the governments for public servants because we're just not going to change anything until the government understands a little more, you know, what bias is, what privilege is, and what structural racism is. <laughs> we're just never going to see change until we start to understand those things. So, and then I, um, I, I shared a friend of mine and she, she had actually a really good picture of Stephen Harper, Rachel Notley and Justin Trudeau. And she, the biggest point that she made that I really agreed with was that, you know, we as Native people have always held up our end of agreements and treaties. So in that sense, we always have to be seen as the better people. And that was kind of the part of, you know, putting down people's um, headdresses that were transferred because ultimately these are white people with, you know, colonial politics in mind and, and their end game is this, but they're supposed to be treaty people as well. And they're supposed to be thinking about reconciliation. And I think always, of course, that our elders give with the best intentions and the best intentions feeling that um, we'll be able to work with these politicians in good ways. Um, 
I was even told with Stephen Harper's uh, headdress ceremony that it was done properly and that um, when the elders, when they prayed to him for some of the policies that the spirits came back and said that he wasn't open to hearing from our people. So that that really says a lot to me in a lot of ways and it reminds me that, you know, whether it's Nahed Nenshi, whether it's Justin Trudeau and now uh, Rachel Notley, that when we pray and we call in our ancestors and we do our smudge and we, we do our prayers, it does mean something. They are going over to those people and checking and seeing and trying to interact with them the best way and put those whispers in there, that good intention. And I know for other people who have other religious beliefs and spiritual beliefs, this isn't in conflict with what you believe. This is just what I believe and what I've been told and what makes sense to me. So I want you to think about that when you put that out there, because um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to start divulging into a little more of the, uh, the co- negative conversations, the lateral violence I see, but also the non-Indigenous who think they have the right to, you know, take space on this conversation. Uh, I wanted to start by talking about um, Asida Newbreast. She's uh, from the Blackfeet Nation. So for those who are following with the land acknowledgement, uh, the Blackfeet Nation are the ones just south of the border. They're part of the Blackfoot Confederacy. And um, they have a women's society and societies are you know, all of the teachings and protocols and ceremonies so for women to be in this society. And they actually have a women's stand-up headdress society. That's literally what it's called. There's a, a Blackfoot name that goes with it that I could not possibly even pronounce. But um, she actually posted when it was announced that this was going to happen, that the Women's Stand-Up Headdress Society does not endorse non-Blackfoot women getting stand-up headdresses. Now, if you look you'll see that Rachel Notley did not actually get a stand-up headdress. She got the man's headdress. And um, Sita Newbreast also said that, you know, if you want to talk directly with Charlene Plume Chicken Prairie, Prairie Chicken, that she would, you know, explain why. So I highly recommend people who are interested, you know, go down to the Blackfoot Nation, Blackfeet Nation, go to a powwow, um, bring honorarium, bring tobacco. And if you find yourself crossing paths with Charlene Plume Prairie Chicken, give her that tobacco and say, can you teach me why non-Blackfoot women uh, should not get a stand-up headdress? And I'm sure if you show respect and kindness, and if you're willing to shut up and listen, you'll she will likely listen, talk to you about it. Um, I'm not going to lie, non-Indigenous your opinion doesn't matter. <laughs> it just doesn't matter. If you are sincere and really want to want to understand, shut up and listen. Shut up and read the the statements. You know, you're going to see a lot of Blackfeet people talk about it. Even me as a Satu Dene woman, it is not my, you know, place to be in there talking about this because this isn't my community. This is their community. Just like I don't go to France and tell France what they're supposed to be doing. I mean, the British can have lots of opinions, but it doesn't matter because what matters is what the French are doing in French lands, in French, in their culture. It's the same thing. Think about that here. Your opinion does not matter. You needing some type of explanation does not matter. 
I'm sure if you went down into Montana, you could find tons of articles about this. I'm sure there are podcasts coming out of the Blackfeet Nation that would explain in length some of these things. So if you feel so compelled that you have to type, I need you to explain this to me, you know, don't bother because the Blackfeet people are not going to care. I'm not going to care because that's not proper protocol. How you do this is like person to person, relationship to relationship. And that's all I can say about that. So to me, that really mattered. She was also at that international uh, peace powwow. And I seen an update from her saying white women getting any kind of headdress is a slap in the face to our grandmothers, mothers, sisters, and daughters. We all feel slapped. It hurts. And we feel sad. <sighs> that's, that's all the opinions that matter to me, frankly. Um, as far as I'm concerned, the Blackfeet women have said this is what they feel. Um, you know, now for me, publicly, a lot of my stuff is public, and uh, you'll have seen some of the people come onto my um, wall and discuss it as well. But ultimately, I just put out a prayer. And I put out a prayer hoping for the best for these politicians to consider, you know, doing the best that they can for our, our people. And you know, it's not a slag on the Blackfoot Nation. It's not a slag on anybody. I, I have no skin in the game because I'm a guest on, on Blackfoot territory. So I hope people are learning from that. Um, now that said, I did see a lot of lateral violence. And um, I'm not going to lie, a lot of our people are really hurt and broken. And there are a lot of people that just to this day believe that no woman ever should you know, leave a house, be doing anything but having babies and breastfeeding, uh, should do nothing but cooking and cleaning, like all the colonial stuff that was taught in Indian residential school is really prevalent. And there's not <laughs> complete healing from all of those things. And in fact, um, and, and I'm just going to point blank say this, I was watching the hate towards Justin Trudeau. And quite frankly, not as bad as I'm seeing against Rachel Notley. What's the difference? Oh, penis versus vagina every time. So, yeah, I, I'm not going to lie. I think a lot of, uh, you know, extra violence is put on this because Rachel Notley is a woman. And uh, no, I, I don't think that's okay. And I applaud Sylvia McAdam, one of the Idle No More co-founders who are reminding us that women are indeed to have um, headdresses for those saying absolutely not under any circumstances ever. Now, again, this is Blackfoot. So to me, I will definitely defer to Dethea Newbreast because that's a women's society. Um, but it wasn't a stand up headdress that was given. It was what is typically considered a male headdress with the um, feathers that go down. And um, as far as I understand, there was a, a Sioux teaching that, that came along with that where this land uh, here on Treaty 7 was gifted those rights. Um, anyway, it it's neither here nor there. At the end of the day, they gave her uh, a man's, um, what we consider a man's headdress, and, and it is what it is. So I just really think that we need to be checking our bias I'm not going to lie, I, I had a, a male elder just come at me so hard on my wall about it. And I didn't see him go after anybody else about it quite the way he went after me. Um, you know, I, I see sexism, racism, 
I see um, homophobia, transphobia within our community all the time. And that was taught through colonialism and through the loss of our teachings and through Indian residential school. And there's a lot there. So for the non-Indigenous, I just highly recommend that you just back off on this and don't take space on this because this isn't yours to take space on. So a lot of you who are NDP supporters who want to quickly, you know, go to Rachel Notley's defense, just leave it alone. Don't do it because um, it shows that you don't understand systemic oppression, point blank. So let's move on. Um, the Senate Committee on Human Rights has tabled their intern report on Canada's correctional system an absence of humanity and widespread systemic racism, which advocates have been documenting within their visits for years. Shocker. Yep. Well, in 1996, Royal Commission on Aboriginal Peoples talked about justice issues. We've been called out internationally for decades. I don't know when Canada's going to wake up and realize that our justice system, our punishment system is not okay. Um... For me personally, I've um, been seeing a lot of attacks on sex workers, a lot of attacks on safe consumption sites. And ultimately, this is all because people don't want to acknowledge their bias, acknowledge their racism, acknowledge their sexism, and give mental health support. Again, bias against mental health. It's such a shame because at the end of the day, we are spending so much money into a stupid justice system where quite frankly, if we actually dealt with addiction, if we actually dealt with child childhood trauma, if we dealt with intergenerational trauma, we would save so much money if we invested that money into mental health. But what do I know? I'm just native, right? <laughs> I'm just saying that for all you jerks who really don't listen, but I know for me, I know I'm right. So too bad for you. Anyway, I'm going to move on to something from the US that really pissed me off. Transgender woman Camilla, who the U.S. deported back to her native El Salvador, died earlier this month when she was attacked outside the country's capital. You know, the whole reason why we brought in those Syrian refugees and uh, Stephen Harper looked like a jerk was because a little toddler washed up on the shores of um, on the beaches, a little Syrian boy that we had turned away. Uh, now a transgender woman has been like brutally murdered in El Salvador because the U.S. turned her away. I do not know. I do not understand why people don't see this problem. Um, I talked about the pink triangle and Hitler attacking LGBTQ2 plus rights and putting pink triangles on the on the gay men to distinguish them and, and killing them. System, like, I don't understand how you all don't see that this is a thing. I don't understand how y'all don't see that in the U.S. when they separate the children, like that's like Indian residential schools and, you know, the child welfare system that we have here in Canada. This is wrong. It 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 is wrong. Anyway, I don't I don't understand how you guys sleep at night. I don't. Um, another thing I wanted to bring up was that uh, internationally there was uh, a whole bunch of people that went to the Vatican. And I'm just going to read you this. Canadians who suffered sexual abuse at the hands of the Roman Catholic priests marched in Rome on Saturday, demanding zero tolerance approach from the Vatican. The march attracted several dozen people, or several dozen people chanting zero, zero, as roughly 190 bishops met 
for the third day of Pope Francis's summit on sexual abuse. The Pope released a 21-point plan to address abuse, but the plan does not commit to zero tolerance. So I know we had uh, some Canadians that were there and joined in that, and I know we had at least one Indigenous person that went, because I remember seeing that in the news. So just quickly want to go over a couple of calls to action about the Church Apologies and Reconciliation, TRC 58 and 59, 60, and 61. We call upon the Pope to issue an apology to survivors, their families, and communities for the Roman Catholic Church's role in the spiritual, cultural, emotional, physical, and sexual abuse of First Nation Inuit Métis children in Catholic-run residential schools. We call for that apology to be similar to the 2010 apology issued to Irish victims of abuse and to occur within one year of issuing this report to be delivered by the Pope in Canada. Well, I guess that didn't happen, did it? 59, we call upon the church parties of the settlement agreement to develop ongoing education strategies to ensure that their representative congregations learn about their church's role in colonization, the history and legacy of Indian residential schools, and why apologies to former Indian residential school students, their families, and communities were necessary. We call upon leaders of the church parties of the settlement agreement and all other faiths in collaboration with Indigenous spiritual leaders, survivors, schools of theology, uh, seminars, and other religious training centers to develop and teach curriculum for all the student clergy and all clergy and staff who worked in Indigenous communities on the need to respect Indigenous spirituality in its own right, the history and legacy of Indian residential school, and the roles of the church parties in the system, the history and legacy of religious conflict in Indigenous families and communities and the responsibilities that churches have to mitigate such conflicts and prevent spiritual violence. We call upon the church parties in the settlement agreement in collaboration with survivors and representatives of Aboriginal organizations to establish permanent funding to Aboriginal people for community-controlled healing and reconciliation projects, community-controlled culture and language revitalization projects, community-controlled education and relationship-building projects, and regional dialogues for Indigenous spiritual leaders and youth to discuss Indigenous spirituality, self-determination, and reconciliation. (sighs) Yeah. Indigenous have been talking about these issues, sharing our traumas in reports, commissions, and in public hearings, just so it can be regularly disregarded. No more. Honor the words. Honor the treaties. Listen to politicians and their policies and platforms. If they don't recognize the marginalized in their budget with Gender Equity Plus, if they are cutting violence prevention programs and services, if they're talking about going after safe consumption sites and Indigenous education in the curriculum, know that your vote is to that party directly negatively impacts marginalized people. Demand they implement the Truth and Reconciliation Commission calls to action, the recommendations of the Royal Commission on Aboriginal People, the multiple reports about child welfare reform and violence prevention. Our people are experiencing extreme racism in the justice, education, health, child welfare systems with multiple reports that say the same things. Demand change from election platforms and politicians. If they don't understand colonialism, racism, privilege, and sexism, they literally have zero business running. 
These should be understood by all parties and or local politicians, community organizations, churches, sports, etc. Violence is just my everyday reality. Every indigenous generation has faced it. That's why I started this podcast, to speak freely, without interruption, without tone police, without leadership shaming, without gaslighting questions, as many people do not want to hear uh, Indigenous opinion, but sure want to tell us theirs. And usually people who know nothing about Indigenous, know nothing about colonialism, know nothing about the constant surveillance of Indigenous people, our children, our podcasts, our protests, our vigils, our rights, microaggressions. People dealing with internalized um, racism, projecting their sexism on women, um, those who are gatekeepers that survive off the status quo, and people who are still really in their trauma and stop people from doing good work because they deplete personal resources. External and internal racism is an everyday reality for Indigenous people. That's why I needed this podcast as a boundary to be heard. I hope one day my daughter and my family will be proud in the future of me trying to discuss these present-day issues in a way everyone could understand. I want to continue by putting cultural safety into action so that you can create safer spaces for Indigenous, people of color, those with disabilities, LGBTQ, 2+, and so that they have a space to speak. Look at it like first aid-only training for marginalization. Do something. Having good intentions is not enough. Take action to make change. Speak out against racism, uh, sexism. Ask questions with those with more understanding. Find allies and create a support system for yourself and advocate for culturally safe approaches. Take responsibility for your own learning. Read, reflect, ask questions. Do not expect this uh, learning to come from marginalized people unless you paid them. Take time for self-reflection. Be aware of your own assumptions and biases. Question everything that you have learned about Indigenous people and take steps to actively disrupt the stereotypes. If you really think it's okay to play devil's advocate with me, I don't really think that you have any understanding what I'm talking about. Commit to lifelong learning. Be prepared to be uncomfortable. Understanding colonialism and the legacy of racism is an ongoing and difficult task. Frankly, it takes self-reflection for you to realize you benefit from systemic racism. Um, here to help.bc.ca, what is Indigenous cultural safety and why I should care about it is a guideline I just used. Internalized racism and lateral violence is another form of violence Indigenous and marginalized folks experience by the structure of racism that's imposed on these lands through the Indian Act, Indian residential schools, and other land-clearing policies. Um, I should add the justice system, the health system, the child welfare system, um, all the post-secondary institutions and business. Equity, uh, RacialEquityTools.org, What is Internalized Racism by Donna Bevins. You can Google these things. You can find them. Do's and Don'ts for Bystander Intervention by the American Friends Service Committee. If you witness public instances of marginalization of racism, sexism, anti-black, anti-Muslim, anti-trans, um, anti-indigenous, anti-immigrant, any other form of oppressive interpersonal violence, harassment, and language, please use these tips on how to intervene while considering the safety of everyone. You know, make your presence known as a witness. If somebody sees that you are in alignment with somebody else, they might just back off. Um, I know for me, I've recorded a lot of instances and it just de-escalates everything. 
You can always Google de-escalation uh, techniques to figure out better ways to deal with racism when you or marginalization when you see it. But do take cues from the individual being harassed. Don't talk over them. Make suggestions like, would you like me to sit over here? Would you like me to record this? Try to honor them. Don't tone police the person if they are getting angry and upset. They have every freaking right to if somebody's mistreating them. Um, follow up on the individual being harassed after it's over. Give them your number. Give them your name so that it validates their experience when they can decompress it later. Do what you need to to keep both of you safe. Assess your surroundings. Are there others that you can pull in for support? Working as a team is a better idea. And can you just move to a safer place with a person being harassed? Do not call the police unless you are asked to. For many communities experiencing harassment right now, the police can actually cause a greater danger for the person being harassed. Don't escalate the situation. The goal is to get the person to safety. Don't do nothing. Silence is dangerous. You might feel afraid, but please be courageous and do something whether it's recording it, whether it's sitting in to witness the whole thing, just do something because you can be as afraid as you want. But if somebody else is actually experiencing it, imagine what they're going through. Teach your kids about this. You know, um, accountability is a positive thing. You can teach your kids how to be um, accountable. And I'm going to read Penny Middleton's tweet. We should teach our girls, this phrase, what did you mean by that? What a simple question to ask somebody. Such a subtle way to hold people accountable and a way to teach people that they don't have to sit in this discomfort. So again, if you're experiencing emotional distress and want to talk, call the First Nation and Inuit Hope for Wellness Helpline at one 242 3310 It's toll free, open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I want to say thank you to my ancestors, my granny and my mom, what strength looks like through your examples. I want to thank my dad for teaching me to be strong and blunt, my stepmom for showing me what a proud culture is through your Austrian family and roots, and for stepping up to teach me to be a proud, Gal proud, proud Calgarian. It's through you. I'm a second generation proud Calgarian. I want to say thank you to Darcy for producing and editing the show. On top of being my husband, my childhood friend, the father of our child and support down my journey of the Red Road, he's witnessed decades of racism and sexism. And to our child who are blessed to learn from every day, you, I'm honored that you chose us. You give me daily accountability to be a better and stronger person. My Patreon account is Native Calgarian. I want to say thank you to Amanda, Ashley, Beatrice, Diana, Joni, Judy, Kenna, Kimberly, Matt, Nancy, Nathan, Phyllis, Sharon, The Sprawl, Tiffany, and Veronica. Thank you all for signing up and for your kindness and your generosity. If you value listening and can afford to a give, thank you. For those who cannot afford to give but listen in, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com where you can send in your comments or questions. We are also on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. And I want to end with my beautiful cousin in mind. When I side-eye all the Calgary rabbits, you're lucky I'm not tradish. And my beautiful cousin will respond, or you'd be in my dish. <laughs> Thanks for listening. <laughs>